Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. This is episode number 66 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate Universe. Today we're talking about Light, episode number five of the new show aired last Friday on Sci-Fi. Part two of the opening two-parter following the opening three-parter. And then next week we actually get a standalone episode. Light was a good episode, I think. And we got a ton of listener feedback on the hotline this week. You guys blow me away. We set a new record with the number of calls that we got. GateWorld turned 10 this past week, October the 22nd. Oh, my baby's getting so old. My baby's all grown up. Older than your kids. Yeah, way older than my kids. Almost as old as my marriage. We celebrated our 10th anniversary last summer, and this fall it's... Gay World is 10, October 22nd. How long have you been with the site out of 10 years? Whenever Full Circle aired, that was around the time that uh, that I started talking with you and, and getting things rolling. Yeah, I think it's been a... like six years now. So yeah, just keeping on trucking. And 66 installments of a podcast is nothing to shake a stick at. Almost 40,000 registered members in our forum now. Big Omnipedia guide. Happy birthday to us. Let's talk about light. The main discussion. So we talked about it last week. The ship is flying straight into a star. There's apparently no way to stop it. It's all out of power. We're all going to die. And you and I thought, well, this ship's probably going to just power itself up with the star, isn't it? Hi, Darren and David. It's Matt from uh, America Colin. Definitely an improvement over the season thus far. And I really got to say I'm really starting to like the ship. Pretty original, making a giant solar battery. Some people may have thought that was obvious. I didn't see it coming. Um, but what I thought was interesting was uh, it started out with the Icarus Project, which from the mythology, Icarus flew too close to the sun and, you know, lost his wings and fell to the ground, but yet our heroes here are rescued by a ship that can fly straight through a sun and fully recharge itself. I thought that was kind of cool. I wondered if they did that on purpose or if that was just a little kind of hint from the beginning all along. Hey, it's Nathaniel from Atlanta with a couple comments on light. I know this ending is exactly what y'all said you probably didn't want to see, but the way they achieved it with the music, the cinematography, and holy crap, a happy rush uh, was pretty awesome. Hi, this is Avi from Chicago. I have two points about this past week's episode of Light. The first one was we saw a little bit of a buildup in the relationship between Chloe and Tennis Scott, but it kind of just jumped straight to them sleeping together. Second issue is that I saw the going into the star to refuel the ship coming from a mile away. It should have been more obvious to the techie people on Destiny that that might be the option, instead of going all crazy about how the ship is going to explode in the star. I mean, they hadn't figured out how, how it was powered in the first place, so it was a better guess than anything. You said to me that you would be surprised if uh, what we thought was going to happen they, was going to if happen. they actually did it, because it seemed so obvious. That and Destiny it, it is taking care of itself. Yeah, and we obviously weren't the only ones. A lot of people are speculating. We'll, we'll play some voicemail here in a few minutes. A lot of people thought that that's what was going to happen. And, well, it happened. So what do you think? It makes perfect sense from a technical standpoint um, that the ship is solar-powered and, and charges itself along its journey by the suns themselves. The Destiny is just a, a giant solar collector, but it was predictable. 
In previous weeks, you mentioned ZPMs, which is what, which is what Atlantis runs off of, ancient batteries. Mm-hmm. And please don't let there be ZPMs on the Destiny. Well, they're not, and this is a really cool replacement idea. It's really basic. The ship is out there, automated, flying from galaxy to galaxy, and it's been going for hundreds of thousands of years, if not millions of years, so it makes sense that it could do something like this. And it made mm-hmm. for a really cool sequence at the end of the, the episode. The visual effects in this episode were extraordinary. I mean, they were as good as Sunshine, one of my favorite films. Yeah, good movie. Mark Savell and his team clapped them on the back. A beautiful sequence at the end when the destiny is over the surface of, of the sun and then eventually goes inside of it. Another photography comment. Do you know, did you notice the light rays in the Destiny shuttle when Scott lowered the, uh, the controls, the light rays that shot across the, the screen? The lights on the shuttle console are uh, such that when it hits the, the lens of, of the camera, they shoot across the entire screen horizontally. That was something that was very prominent in Star Trek, the most recent feature film. Oh, the lens flare effect? The lens flares going across the screen. I'm just betting... They saw that in the new Star Trek film, and they're like, it's good. Let's do something like that. So that's that's I'm noticing that as a new trend in, on a lot of television where, oh, where the, they play with lights, uh, which is fine. It's just fine. It, it looks cool in, H, in HD. Well, now, so the question here is, is this too predictable? I thought it was too predictable. Does that does that detract from your enjoyment? If you're a watcher of all the online media related to the show, you know, unless unless you're just a person who tunes in from week to week, obviously you wouldn't be listening to this show if you were. These guys aren't going to die, right? The, the destiny's not going to be destroyed, and everyone aboard the shuttle is not going to be stranded on the shuttle. So I felt no suspense in that whatsoever. And when you construct a, a sequence of Jeopardy that is so full of jeopardy that you're going to sacrifice the main characters in the process if you carry through with it. It's just not going to happen. So it's just a matter of sitting back and watching how they resolve this issue. And that's, that's largely what episodic television is. How, how are they going to resolve this issue so that they can return to the week-to-week adventure? But in this case, you know, with Universe, we're taking the opportunity to wound the characters um, rather than hit that reset button. So, I mean, it, it, it gave some interesting growth to the characters, uh, you've got a Chloe and Eli friendship building a little bit more. Some more characters were introduced in the process, like Boone, who is uh, played by Dominic Zampragna. I cannot tell you how happy I am that he is now on this show. I looked him up on IMDb, and he was on Atlantis, Childhood's End. Dominic is uh, is now aboard the Destiny. That's great. And again, I mean, the visual effects for this episode are astounding. Yeah, I think that light is really satisfying overall. It it uh, it is predictable the solution as to how the ship is going to get powered up again. That much is predictable, uh, and I think that's a legitimate criticism of this episode. But it's still fun to watch. I mean, it's not really about how are the characters going to get out of this one as much as it's about. I mean, this is the way that Brad and Rob set up this show, isn't it? It's the Jeopardy this week, and how are the characters going to react to that? in different ways. And there's sort of multiple stages in this episode. How are the different characters going to respond to the lottery? So mm-hmm. you've got, you know, Rush is recommending that Young rigs it, and Camille is trying to uh, to get her to, to pick him, her kind of subtly, and then uh, has this nice little scene where she breaks down. You've got Spencer, who has really, really got some problems. What do you think he's taking, antidepressants? I don't know. He's popping pills, isn't he? What do you think's going to happen when those run out? Yeah, that guy's a ticking time bomb. And and like I said Fast last week... Fast forward to the episode Justice, if I may make a prediction, and try and get my $1 back. 
Oh, you think he's going he's gonna to do something and have to go on trial? I think he's going to be the one on trial. Interesting. I always figured that that was going to be Rush. But I'm not sure why. There's an episode coming up called Justice, and we don't know anything about it other than it deals with how do you maintain law on this lawless frontier spaceship. That guy's a ticking time bomb, and like I said last week, right now, Spencer freaks me out more than Greer does. He's a bigger, a bigger threat, a bigger unknown quantity. And we found out what Greer did. We did, yeah. He laid Jack out Telford. Telford, Lou Diamond Phillips' character. I thought it was going to be Young. Apparently, Telford is not well-liked. Nope. Young also dislikes Tel- Telford as well, so I'm sure yeah. he had no problem with getting him out of jail. Yeah, and after last week, fans are disliking Telford, too. Good relationships in this. You, speaking of Greer, um, the, the Greer that stands out to me, in addition to his little keynote vid at the beginning of the episode, which was, which was a nice little powerful vignette. It's when the shuttle's about to leave and Scott radios back and, mm-hmm. and Greer calls him brother. These guys are close. These guys are tight. The scene in the previous episode, the, the three of them, TJ and, and, and Scott and Greer, obviously share some history. These three are friends. Yeah. It's nice for once to watch a Stargate with some of these relationships already intact. And we get to perhaps see at some point how those relationships were formed. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we, we get to get right in the middle of it. Yeah, now what about Lieutenant Scott and Chloe, two characters who have just met? They have just met. They're about to die, so let's have sex. Let's talk about it. I can't say I'm surprised. Doesn't the Catholic Church believe in abstinence before marriage? So Sure. <laughs> not uh, much marriage going to be going on out there, I guess. I, I'm just, um, it's fine. I'm a little disappointed in the characters, but I can understand it. What about you? Well... A lot of people have called this uh, a sex scene, SG's second sex scene. Oh, come After on. After the, uh, the stuff with Lieutenant James in the first episode. The stuff with Scott and Lieutenant James is a sex scene in Air Part 1. This is not a sex scene. There is no sex happening in this. This is foreplay at best. Devil's Advocate, doesn't that depend on your definition of sex? Okay. My definition of sex, it's, this was, I mean, especially compared to the, the James scene, which had uh, flesh and thrusting and all sorts mm-hmm. of naughty bits. Hi, Darren and David. This is Michelle from Indiana. I'm just calling in regard to um, the response between the intimate scenes. Everybody is saying that they don't have a place in the show, but the thing is, these are supposed to be realistic characters, and intimacy and sex scenes, and they happen in real life, so I don't think it's being done gaudily. I don't think it's being done to the point where it's not necessary. I think it's being done very tastefully, and and it's really necessary to move the characters along. I really think it, it does have a place as long as it doesn't become a main focal point and become a soap opera. And And you compare that also with the music. The very sort of soft, lilting, quiet mm-hmm. score that's that's over mm-hmm. this scene. You know what? Brian J. twittered just after the episode aired and said this was not two people going at it. This was two people making love, probably for the last time. I didn't mind the scene, the fact that, that it was there, uh, and the fact that how it was portrayed. Uh, what I minded was that it was so soon. I know these guys are about to die, and they've they've been getting to know each other, and they had this nice little talk after the senator died on the observation Mm -hmm. deck. But um, as far as we can follow the timeline, it's been one, maybe two days 
since then, since air. Not very long at all. You know, people my age, we have this kind of philosophy that we're invincible. We can just do whatever we want in life. But when it comes to sex, most of us really have to take up this life is too short policy. <laughs> get it on. Yeah. Uh, well, it was pretty but... obvious to, to everyone that they were going to get together. They were going to hook up. And sort of the question that we ventured when we talked about air was, for Scott, is this going to be hooking up? Or is he going to fall for this girl? And he seems to have fallen for her. They've already learned that there's a good chance that they are not going to survive. So I can understand artificially rushing their relationship in terms yeah. of that. Yeah. But I hope that there are consequences in the in exactly. episodes to them, to them rushing this. I hope that that plays out. That, that Chloe says, you know, I would not have, have done that so soon in our relationship if I hadn't thought I was about to die. Yeah. I would love to see yeah. that. But she also says, over the course of two days, I've never grown more close to anybody. So I find that very interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's... Has she just come from a convent? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so, aside from God, I've never been this close to anyone. Yeah, and she's known him for about two days, and they've gone through uh, an extraordinary circumstance together. And I don't know, that's the line of dialogue that rang a little false to me. Not that, that she wouldn't say it, but that Chloe, as a 23-year-old woman, may be sort of rushing things in her own mind and, mm -hmm. you know, idealizing this guy that she's falling for and pushing things too mm -hmm. fast. Obviously, too fast for good reasons, if she's about to die. But uh, it rang a little hollow to me because they have not known each other that long. So our every other relationship that she's ever had, male or female, has has just been zero. In college, you know, it it's, it seems to me that she was really concentrated on on her uh, efforts to to join her father and be employed by him. So I can I can probably see that she didn't devote to anything outside of school while she was at school. So I mean, it's I can buy it. Um, but I, I need to I need to learn a little bit more about this character before yeah. before buying into it fully. You mentioned music in in this scene, and I especially noticed it when it when it cut back to the ship heading towards the sun. Hey guys, this is Adrenaholic. I'm calling from uh, Florida, and I just wanted to tell you guys that I thought the light was the most incredible incredible episode ever. You guys were talking about the music on the first episode and how you weren't sure if you liked it or not. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was perfect. I thought it was amazing. I mean, the way they used the electric guitar was probably my favorite part of it. And just the whole scene where Rush is running throughout the ships and, you know, thinking like, oh, wow, you know, it's actually working. You know, it's doing what I thought it might. That was just probably the best part for me. It was one of the few times I've ever actually wanted to jump out of my seat and, you know, yell, all right, you know, good job. If Tammy didn't hear the music in this episode, Tammy's deaf. This is the best music in the universe so far. Joel did a great job. Well, you're more of a music connoisseur than I am, so... The whole shuttle sequence was fantastic. The music was great. You could really, really hear it, and I sank my teeth into it. It doesn't sound like anything that's been heard on Stargate before. It sounds like a different composer. Yeah, uh, He's really pulling out the stops, man. I like the music. This is not meant as, as a criticism, but did it sound very synthesizer to you because the way that it the way that it came across I'm not sure how much of this is synthesizer and how much of it is is actually orchestral I don't think that they're spending the money on on orchestras for for regular episodes but um what the music reminded me of at a couple of places was 1980s sci-fi like blade runner that's what it sounded like I have a problem with synthesized music when it's pretending to be violins and trumpets and, and things that when you depress the key on a keyboard, you know, it clearly 
mm-hmm. you don't have that brass. It doesn't sound like there are lips behind the trumpet. You know, it doesn't sound like that. There's a sense of randomness about when you, when you push air through that instrument, or when you use the bow on a, on a violin or or an oboe or or anything like that. But if he's going to approach different kinds of instruments and deliberately go after more things that are designed to be used on a synthesizer, then I'm okay with that. That's what I'm concerned about. Does it sound good? And this episode sounded good. It's it's not meant as as a criticism. Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies, but it's an interesting mm-hmm. choice. That mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe it says more about me that it sounds like that in my head. But you liked the compositions that were generated from this. I did, yeah, yeah. I like the music in this episode. Well, we talked about Lieutenant Scott and Chloe. Now, last week I I tried to bring up this the subject of Eli, and you sort of said, "Ah, oh, there's no way that there's there's something going on with Eli and Chloe." And I think in no this way. episode it becomes pretty clear that he's. He's crushing on her. He was interested, yeah. Well, I mean, just look at the guy. I mean, if you can get a mailbox to look at you that way, then, you know, then, yeah, I would uh, I would probably gaze at that in that direction, too. Okay, he's not that bad looking. But <laughs> he's not the hunk soldier. That's not who he is. He is the brainiac, PhD potential kind of guy who deserves a brainiac, PhD potential kind of girl. That is my opinion. Let me just mm-hmm. say this outright. That is my opinion. That does not mean that what I'm saying is gospel. But I never saw anything happening between the two of them. Maybe over the course of the show it will. Yes, this is Joel from Houston. I must say that overall I'm actually really enjoying Stargate Universe and I'm enjoying the more character-based take they're doing with developing all these characters. But I must say that with Light, I've finally gotten to the point where I'm seeing an episode that... I'm not that crazy about it. I would say this is definitely the weakest episode so far of the series for two main reasons. One, for as much as people were worried about this being Stargate 90210, this week was the first time I really felt like there was that level of melodrama in the show, which came up with the soap opera quality scene between Chloe and Lieutenant Scott after they had sex in the episode, which I thought was kind of ridiculous. My other big criticism, which is more of the show as a whole, but I really felt it in this episode, which is that nothing really has happened so far, and I'm ready for something big to happen. I'm ready for some old-school-style Stargate shooting, some action. Something needs to happen. It's a telltale sign that you've got a relationship show happening when you have scenes such as Eli staring across the room at Scott and Chloe sharing a semi-intimate moment, and Mm -hmm. he's kind of hanging hanging his head in an oh shucks kind of way, you know. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the relationship kind of show. You see see this on Smallville. I saw it on Kyle XY. Yes, I watched Kyle XY. Now Stargate's doing it. What do you think about that? At the level that it's at right now, I I don't mind it at all. It's it's an important dynamic to Eli, I think, to have him him interested in this girl, and, you know, he's being sweet and charming and funny, and she doesn't go for him. She's, you know, leaning her head on his shoulder and holding his hand while she's mm-hmm. waiting to die. And, uh, you know, those of us who grew up kind of socially awkward as kids and in high school know, some of us know what it's like to have a pretty girl who you know, says, oh, you're so funny, and thinks of you as a mm-hmm. friend, and is mm-hmm. going out with all the jerks and a-holes. <laughs> Not that Scott is one, but uh, it's it, it rings true to my life experience, and, and it's interesting because Eli and Scott were set up as potentially a buddy pair in the pilot. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, that throws an interesting little monkey wrench into their relationship, and I'm interested to see 
how far Eli is going to push on this or if he is mm. going to be willing to let it go now. When I still lived back in Southern Illinois, when I still lived at home, um, most of my friends were girls. And uh, now that I've moved out here and I've been on my own, it's interesting. Most of my friends are guys. Uh, but I was very comfortable with, with, with girls growing up. There wasn't a lot of hand-holding, don't get, don't get me wrong, but I hope that uh, she is, is not going to hurt him, going to hurt Wallace. And I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, you listen, you listen to the scene near the beginning of the show about Chloe saying, you know, this, I should not be one of the two who are going to be on this shuttle. Now, I think she has the most level head over anyone in terms of perspective about who needs to be on this ship. Yeah, she does seem um, to have a pretty good head on her shoulders. But she also, I think, is selling herself short by saying that, listen to her keynotes, and you know, I'm Chloe Armstrong, I'm 20-something, I'm the daughter of the U.S. senator. I'm not uh, the computer nerd who's trying yeah. to help keep everybody alive. No, I'm the daughter of a U.S. senator. That's how she sees her identity. That's how she identifies herself. And I thought it was really interesting that Scott expected her to be the, the, the second person, that your daughter of a U.S. senator, he has to be, he's probably been ordered to. Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, yeah. Wishful thinking on his part. Wishful thinking. Yeah, but do you really think he was thinking that, or was he just trying to play nice with her? I I don't know. I think maybe he was just trying to to keep her keep her uh, hopes up, keep her keep her looking positive because yeah. there doesn't seem to be any good reason for Young to pick her unless he's concerned about making babies or something once they get to the new planet. We are now officially a quarter of the way through the first season, so. Those characters that don't find something to do, I think, become good candidates for getting killed off. So now a lot of what this episode is about is focused around the lottery. We've decided that we are abandoning ship, but the ship only holds 17, the shuttle. So we've got 80-plus on the Destiny now. Who gets to go? Uh, mm -hmm. Again, it's uh, a lot of the episode is watching characters react in different ways to, first of all, the fact that there's going to be a lottery second of all to the fact of who gets chosen and who gets left out and then you know the whole thing with the ship going off and we get a nice action beat with the ship uh, coming back at the end but is this episode slow do you think is it as slow as darkness it was the correct pace you never see the more honest nature of person than when they are facing their own demise yeah we see the metal of these characters we see what they're made of you know, not all of them are the shepherd heroes. Not all of them are the O'Neills. You know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sacrifice my 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 own life so that someone else may live. There are people on mm -hmm. this ship who want to get out. There are people who are afraid for their lives. There are cowards. Very interesting episode from that standpoint. Man, oh man. I'm not just talking about Baldy. Um, Spencer. I'm not just talking about Spencer. You can I call mean... him Baldy if you want. <laughs> How many listeners do you think know that the character's name is Spencer? Uh, minimum. Pill-popping, power-bar-stealing Baldy. But uh, Camille, HR lady in space, you know, cl poor Chloe. I mean, she's really right next to Chloe in terms of importance as far as I am concerned right now. Mm -hmm. Desperate to survive just a little while longer. And this is the, the one big question that I've been looking forward to asking you. Would you want to go on that shuttle or would you want to take your name off the list? How would you handle this situation if you were a Destiny crew member and faced with the prospect of smoldering into an extragalactic star. Mm -hmm. How would you face this? That's not only a great question to ask on this podcast and a great question to ask of our listeners, how would you respond to this, but 
this is in a lot of respects what Stargate Universe is about in trying to get get back to the core values of science fiction storytelling. What would you do? If you were in this kind of situation, how would you respond? Would you be like Spencer and try and uh, create a little riot to to get more people onto the shuttle? Would you Would you be like Camille and go to the shuttle weeping knowing the people that you're leaving behind but but you don't you don't have have the guts to stay behind and give somebody else your seat all these characters react in such different ways becker the the mess hall guy i love yeah. becker's response of just this on away stunned look on his face he's the first one chosen in the lottery he's a cook he's of all people who should should stay behind with chloe and the actor just plays it great it's mm-hmm. it, just the stunned look of of how could i possibly be saved so yeah, yeah would i go um knowing that other people are being left behind i i would like to think that uh, the better angels of my nature would give up that seat to somebody else. It's hard to go, and I think this is what was going through Camille's head. It's hard to go sit on that shuttle and buckle in when you know that that decision means somebody else is dying. Five-sixths are not going to make it. Yeah. Um, I don't think I could do it. I, 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 you know, I've, I've never been faced with a life or death situation. I'm thankful to have never had a gun pointed at my head before. I don't think I could have boarded that shuttle. I just don't think I could do it. And that, and perhaps that says something about how I feel about my life and how I feel about how I could I'm have boarded the shuttle. Society. I don't think I could have boarded that shuttle. Well, see, that's the question. Is that's that's a great response? Is it is it harder to board the shuttle, or is it harder to stay and die? Yeah, exa- I mean, and like I'm saying, perhaps that perhaps that says a little something about how I how I feel my contributions. I'm an entertainment journalist, and there's very little need for me, uh, especially on board a spaceship that's several billion light years from home. So I think I would be like Rush, and it's not just that, but it's also what are your prospects for survival on an alien planet? Do you want to go through that? Do you want to live a hard, harsh existence on some rock in the middle of utter nowhere? Yeah, which was which was kind of Russia's response, or so we think. So we think. I could. I don't think I could do it. I think I would say no. Give it to someone else. This is the the nice sort of thing that that SGU is doing. It's done it a little bit in the past. You know, there's this dilemma over who's going to push the button to close the shuttle door, and uh, buy everybody another day's worth of air. Um, that's that's a little moral dilemma that was played out over the course of I don't know ten or fifteen minutes in Air Part Two before you you realize that it was going to be Senator Armstrong. Here, it's 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 like, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes out of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see, again, Darkness and Light, a two-parter, were originally written to be a one-parter. And mm-hmm. uh, they decided to make it a two-parter. And that's the sort of thing that I wish that they would have done. We've talked about this before with episodes like Be All My Sins Remembered. Because then mm-hmm. you have time to slow down and do the big moral dilemma questions. The what like, would you do questions? Like Fran, do we use Fran in this way? Is she sentient? Is she a person? Does she have rights? Uh, and mm-hmm. that's what Darkness and Light does. It slows down. And I think Darkness is a little too slow. It slows mm-hmm. way down. But then that gives us space in Light to be able to have this long, drawn-out dilemma and see the way that different characters respond to that question. I disagree. I think when I watch Darkness and Light together, I think that they play beautifully together because the episode is all of the episode as a whole, the two hour, the hour and 30 minutes is about establishing the background players and a couple of the, the front players and, and how they associate uh, with this situation. And they're, they're creating a message in a bottle. 
throughout this throughout these two episodes and yeah. we're I I think it really comes together very nicely. Peter DeLuise did an excellent job directing these two. Yeah, they definitely do hold together well. I like the pace, but it's time for an action one now. We need that. We need it to speed up a little. We get an action beat at the end of Light, which is, it felt to me like it was kind of the, the first one since Scott was running back to the gate at the end of Airport mm-hmm. 3, trying to keep the gate open. They try and recall the shuttle. There's no way for the shuttle to get there in time, so how do we catch up with the the destiny and then dock is that sufficient action i mean it's kind of like air part three's ending it's it's hurry 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 we've got to catch up to the destiny before it leaves it's a runaway train this is this is the runaway train episode it's not gun shooting and aliens uh it's still an action beat i I mean scott has to be a pretty excellent pilot uh, to fly this ship that he's never flown before and counting on math boys uh equations to uh, get them lined up with the ship and then to to saddle that shuttle on destiny's docking port it's kind of far-fetched i would screw it up (laughs) you've got guys looking out the back of the window a little left a little left yeah it's fun though it's a fun sequence and you know that the moniker math boy has bugged me since they introduced it i thought it was dopey but when rush used it i love it now Hi, this is Chris from Fort Lauderdale. I'm just calling to talk about Rush in Darkness, Robert Carlyle's character. On the last podcast, you guys said you didn't like him, and I think that's the point. They don't want you to like him, and so he's definitely doing his job. But also, I cannot say enough about his acting job in this episode. It's probably the best acting job I've seen in a long time on TV. Um, and the reason I say this is because he's dealing with several things, and I think he manages to hit all of them at once. And if he can act any other way, you tell me. He had the stress of saving himself, which is most important to him and the crew. He can't fix the situation, not because of intelligence, but because of access. He can't get access to what he needs to fix the problem. Everyone blames him and wants to kill him. He's frustrated he's not in charge because he's pretty much into himself. No one's listening to him so that he can help save them and has more time to save them. He has no cigarettes and he has no caffeine. My question is to you, can he play all of that at once any other way? Because I thought he did a brilliant job, and I'm really loving his character. It's one of the things that's keeping me coming back every week, is what's he going to do? I love the supposed growth between Rush and Young in this episode. Uh, Young actually has a very playful moment with Rush, because he's so tickled. Yeah, what's going on? He's so tickled that everyone survived. And at that point, he really thinks that that Rush largely contributed to that. And what does he what does he do? He scratches the back of his head as he walks by. <laughs> and then Rush turns and looks at him, not like that's a playful thing to do. And our friends are saved. He, I thought that he wanted to kill him. I thought that he thought that it was. It looked to me like Rush thought that was such a disrespectful, inappropriate thing to do. Hi, this is Dana from Seattle. I am happy to say that this was the first episode of SGU that. I felt like I was watching an episode of Stargate, kind of. And I really hope that everybody has kept watching up till now. It had a, a feeling of fun to it that had been lacking. And, and of course, it was Peter DeLuise's episode, and they're always my favorite. And then you see Young in the next scene around, around the mess, you know. Not like a, a Jack O'Neill. You know, he's smiling, he's laughing. You know, I can't, I don't, did, did Jack ever laugh? He enjoys his people. He is a people person. Colonel Young? Yes, Colonel Young. I really like the direction that he is going. 
you know, this this is another benefit of jumping into their story. These relationships are already established. They have a great time with one another, these people do, in despite their dire situation. And then you get the stick in the mud rush who comes in the room and, you know, yeah. like like Picard never sitting down at the poker table. This this guy is not interested in in associating with anyone other than Destiny. Well, Young leaves us with the big pregnant question, did Rush know that all of this was going to happen, that the Destiny was going to be able to recharge itself? I wish they hadn't said that aloud. I, I think that we're smart enough to figure that out for ourselves. I don't think we have to have one of the cast members put the pieces of the puzzle together. Do you think that he did know? Well, let's discuss that. We brought this up at the end of last week's podcast, and it actually got cut out of the final. So people haven't heard us talk about this yet, but yeah. we we speculated a little bit when we were trying to come up with wild and crazy theories that Rush was actually orchestrating the whole thing. He caused the power to go out for some nefarious purpose. That was my theory after part mm-hmm. one. And after seeing part two, even with Young voicing that, I don't think that that was the case. I don't think that Rush knew this was going to happen. He may have had an inkling. He may have hoped. But I did not get the impression that he knew this was going to happen. And so I guess the theory is supposed to be that he let those 17 people go off on the shuttle because fewer people on the ship means more resources and he has no interest in keeping those people around. It is interesting uh, watching it the second time when Rush and Young are in the shuttle talking about the lottery, and Rush suggests that Young might rig it, he's trying to get Greer. He's trying to encourage Young to get Greer on the shuttle, and we know that Rush doesn't like Greer. He took his name out of that lottery. If he knew that the ship was going to be restored, he also had an inkling that the shuttle would not be able to catch up with them. But here's, but here's my, my pros for Rush. When he goes back into that main control room, no one else is in there. He sees that the ship is yep. charging. He doesn't go, oh, okay, it's yep. working as planned. He the lights are that, on. That expression is not on his face at all. His expression is surprise and joy. Yeah, and he's no alone. Yeah, I agree. That's why I don't think that he knew about this ahead of time and was, was plotting to try and get people off the ship. Additionally, he is the one that suggests the slingshot maneuver. Yeah, he helps them get back. He he fixes the communications. He fixes the communications. Eli solves the, the math qu- equation to pull it off. He's the one that brings that up. Well, I gave Rush a hard time after Darkness because he was just ranting and raving and was unpleasant to watch. But uh, one of our callers said, you know, that that shows that Rush is a really dislikable character and Robert Carlyle is a really great actor because mm-hmm. he made you dislike watching the character. It's one thing to dislike a character because it's so poorly acted. It's another thing to dislike the character because you're encouraged to because of the way that the yeah. acting is done. Yeah, he's written and acted to be disliked. But mm-hmm. uh, I liked Rush in light. Uh, I yep. like this character a lot more now. It was a good episode for him. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear from, from listeners in the next week or two if they, if they think if they're on, on board with Young's theory, if they think that Rush was behind the whole thing, or at least knew that the ship was going to recharge itself. I wouldn't be surprised if we discover that he is the architect of all of the misfortunes of season one, from the summoning of the Lucian Alliance to whatever incursion is at the end of the season. But, you know, would that not be a little too perfect, though, if that was the case? I don't buy that he summoned the Lucian Alliance to attack Icarus. Okay. It was a good episode. It was was a, a really great payoff for Darkness, which 
Darkness was a little too slow. Light light picked it up in a really good way, but still kept it about the characters and their reactions to this. Kept it personal. This crisis. Yeah, kept it personal. And, you know, we're still looking forward to, to more action on the show. And I hope Water is going to deliver that next week. I love the beat about Riley's birthday. Yeah, little, little moments like that. It's that time again. Quibble time. There's not a ton in this episode to quibble about. I thought it was mm-hmm. very, very consistent. Not a lot of talk about technology in the ship, which is what we've been quibbling about so far. Uh, it's it's a lot of character stuff. So, you know, we quibble about Chloe and Scott and, and too close, too soon. But uh, other than that, one thing I spotted was when Spencer wakes up on the floor of the gate room. And how awesome is it that Greer laid that guy out with one punch? Yeah. Knocked him unconscious. He wakes up and there are little lights on. And it seemed like in darkness when the power went out, it was dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as Spencer gets up and is leaving the gate room, is going through the corridors, there are some lights on. Well, our quibble from last week, my first quibble got shot out of the water, obviously. My quibble was, are we really supposed to believe that Destiny miscalculated its narrow-breaking maneuver? And mm-hmm. it, it didn't. Uh, the ship knew mm-hmm. exactly what it was doing. Mm-hmm. So quibble averted. But also, you know, we, we land with that prospect of what we feared might happen is that the destiny is taking care of itself. That we perhaps can sit back and not worry about it because the destiny will be that will be taking care of us. Yeah, um, and that that's fine for me in episode three, four, and five. Once we get mm-hmm. a little bit deeper into the show, I mean, you want the characters to be able to affect their surroundings, and so far they're just along for the ride. I have a quibble about the shields on the destiny in air part two and three the shields are apparently insufficient to fully protect the hull and fully seal breaches mm-hmm. namely the the shield that was covering the breach in the shuttle where the shuttle and now they can withstand now they're strong enough on minimal power minimal power the shields are strong enough to protect from the heat and the g-forces of being inside a star if i were to design a ship I would design it in such a way that the more the hull had attacking it, the stronger the resistance of the hull. It would actually be reinforced by the opposing force. Um, so the vacuum of space would then bring it to be um, its weakest. So if it's going to go up against a star, um, that energy, especially because it's charged by it, would really reinforce its strength the closer that it got to it. That's my thought. That would actually make sense a little bit because you notice there's zero turbulence when they entered the mass of the star. They actually Mm -hmm. didn't notice until Eli called it up on the monitor. Well, that's episode five of SGU Light. And if you want to read GateWorld's full coverage, head over to GateWorld.net. You can find discussion on the forum. You can find our complete summary coming up in the next few days. Uh, we have photos, we have hundreds upon hundreds of screen captures in HD, courtesy of Mr. David. Hello. What else do we have? We have a full transcript of the episode. Full and transcript links. and a review. Review. You can uh, follow the links to watch the episode on Hulu if you live in the U.S. or download it on iTunes. That's right. Or Amazon. Listener mail. So in addition to all the great feedback that we got on Light, we have lots more to listen to on Stargate Universe in general and some other topics. Let's get to that. Hey guys, it's Sean here in Vancouver, Canada. Just got finished watching 
light and uh, overall really enjoyed it. Um, I think now I'm starting to get a feel for the series. Um, as we all expected, it's going to be very different. I think there are a lot of strong points in this series so far, but I also have some concerns, which uh, for me personally, of course, I mean, every, everyone's different, obviously, but uh, it kind of feels like a, a Battlestar Galactica slash Lost uh, to me. My concern is that uh, we're going to start to see too much of an emphasis on the characters. Just like with Atlantis, we saw too much action. Um, it'd be good to have a nice balance in between the two, or, or maybe even more emphasis on the characters and less on the action is fine. But you do have to have some action. And while we've had some suspenseful scenes uh, in in pretty much every episode, there's been a real clincher. There's been a nice character moment. And there's been a good suspense scene. Uh, I think that I, I do miss the action part of it. And um, hopefully that'll come in the future. It's obviously much too early to make a judgment on the show. I definitely plan to watch all of this season and stick with it because really the characters have won me over. Although I'm a little concerned about the whole Chloe Scott thing this early on. That did surprise me. But anyway, keeping the fingers crossed for, uh, for a great first season. And uh, they're, so far they're off to a pretty good start. So there it is. Cheers. Hi, this is Trace calling again for Reno. Comment in regards to your quibble on Destiny's Age. Um, something I have actually noticed uh, in the last couple episodes, sort of the, the set dressings of Destiny are a little reminiscent of some of what we saw from ancient tech in SD-1. Because, you know, the look and feel of, of ancient tech in Atlantis is obviously different than it was in SD-1, where they uh, had, you know, those stone things. But what I'm thinking specifically is in that planet they go to where O'Neill for the first time downloads all the ancient knowledge. They're in that sort of black room, and it's got wall panels and floor panels, and they've all got these sort of lines that are circular curves. If you look around some of the background on Destiny, they've got similar wall panels placed around, uh, which I think maybe helps place where in the uh, realm of ancient tech Destiny falls. Yeah, hi, my name is William. I'm calling from Baltimore, Maryland. I'm from Gabon, Central Africa. I just wanted to say that Destiny officially became cooler than Atlantis and cooler than the Stargate itself. Fly into the sun, like within the sun itself, that was amazing. And about uh, Dr. Rush, the theory that he knew that the destiny was going to fly into the sun all along, I mean, he's been trying to get rid of people ever since they got into the destiny, but that was evil, just plain evil. Hi guys, this is Thomas from Ontario again, um, and I was just calling about the age of the Destiny, and I just thought of something. Um, the Destiny should technically have uh, communication stones. I was re-watching Ark of Truth the other day, and I noticed when you see all the ancients, when they're still in the Ori galaxy, they're all talking about whether or not they should use the Ark of Truth. You see the, their communication um, platform, or whatever you want to call it. They, anyways, they have one, but... That was before, long before Atlantis existed and long before any of the Stargates existed. So, obviously, the Destiny was built after they left the Ori Galaxy because it has a Stargate on board. Are, do they have them, or we have just not found them yet, or what? Shouldn't the Destiny probably have its own stones on board as well? Absolutely, um, but uh, they wouldn't be activated. They wouldn't necessarily be activated, and there's no reason that they would connect to Earth. Mm-hmm. So this is but a perhaps potential... Perhaps they're old enough so that they don't have um, ATA encoding. Right, right. You don't necessarily have to have the ancient gene to use them. This this but is an right. interesting story fodder here, is if we find some 
some ancient communication stones on the ship that connect someplace else, mm-hmm. like to an ancient colony or the Alteran home galaxy or something. Hi, this is Michael from Germany. About the time dilation thing you discussed in the in your last podcast about darkness, I think that's pretty much what's happening. I thought it over after I listened to your podcast, and we see Telford come to the ship, and he basically walks to the shuttle and has that discussion, and then he's ripped out. In the same time, um, Young <laughs> drives or flies somewhere in the United States. I don't know. It's not told where his wife lives, but... I'm pretty sure it's not five minutes from the Pentagon. So they have to get him there. And I think that's at least like half a day. While he spends half a day on Earth, or even more, if he lives further away from Washington, on the ship, there is maybe an hour going on. Michael from Germany suggests that maybe the fact that uh, in darkness, when Young went back, to Earth. He went and saw his wife. He, he had a briefing probably with General O'Neill. His wife doesn't necessarily live in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. So he probably spent somewhere around a day, half a day to a day on Earth, whereas Telford basically his consciousness drops in. He goes and has a chat with Scott and Telford and then gets popped out. He's there maybe, I don't know, an hour or so. The, yeah. the timelines don't necessarily seem to jive. So maybe that lends some credence to the time dilation theory. The question has been asked have we actually seen the stones being used in FTL? Or has the ship always dropped out of FTL first? It seems like it hasn't been established yet. Hey, David and Aaron, this is uh, What's With the Hair Teal from Seattle, Washington. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a longtime viewer of the Stargate franchise, and I would uh, watch just about anything with the Stargate name. However, after the first four episodes of SGU, I've become concerned with the show's lack of movement. I feel like they're trying to make drama show with a little bit of sci-fi mixed in, and I think that since the show is on a sci-fi channel, that you should make a sci-fi show first and then mix in the drama, similar to the formula that made Battlestar Galactica a hit. I'm definitely ready for some fan payoff about the history of the Destiny and a little more tech talk and action we've been accustomed to after 13 years of Stargate. Keep up the good work on the podcast, guys. What's with the hair teal from Seattle? As uh, worried about SGU's lack of, of tech. I think, he, I think he means new tech. Like when we went to Atlantis, we suddenly had jumpers and other things. What did we find in Atlantis? We found a, a hollow room, shield. we found jumpers, we found a personal shield, we, we got found a lot of stuff that pretty quickly. caused all sorts of mayhem and ancient technology gone awry. Hi, my name is Nancy. I'm calling from Chicago, and I just wanted to say that I'm a, I, a brand new watcher to Stargate. I never watched any of the previous shows. And uh, in watching the shows that I found GateWorld online, and I was caught up with some of the podcasts, and your podcast from September 30th where you said that in order for the the franchise to make it, it's going to have to bring in some outside fans. It can't rely on its core fan base. And I think that, that absolutely hit it on the nose because the only reason I turned on Stargate was because I saw Robert Carlyle on Craig Ferguson's show. And I thought, well, gee whiz, I enjoy... Robert Carlyle, I'll turn in this TV show and see what it's all about. And I am absolutely hooked. I've watched all three episodes again and again and again and listened to your podcast several times. And I've already Netflixed the previous series. 
So this is um, just to let you know that you absolutely hit it on the nose. And also, I appreciate the podcast and appreciate your website. Nancy, welcome to Stargate. I love this message because this is exactly what we want to hear. People are are new to the Stargate universe through watching SGU. (laughs) I love it. I love that she's hooked on the show and and doesn't hurt that she's also hooked on GateWorld and listening to our podcast. So welcome, Nancy. And all the other Nancys out there. Yes. Regarding the listener mail, I wanted to make a statement. Uh, some people, when you call in, you're not used to being put on the put on the spot, you know. And you often, some of you hang up and then call back and try again. Please don't do that. Just say, "Okay, David, scratch the rest of that. I'm going to start over here." You'll just edit it from that point. I make better edits than MSNBC, man. I mean, I can <laughs> I can trim and make it make it look whatever I want it to look like. Just say, "Okay, this is the part that I want to use. Here I go." And I'll listen to it, and I'll cut it together. Well, once again, we got a ton of voicemail, and I hope we can cram it all into this show, because we by far set a record, and I love it. Keep calling, guys. We want this show to be about what you think of SGU, not just what we think about SGU. This week's question, uh, the new episode Water is airing this Friday on Sci-Fi in the U.S., and Tuesday on the U.K., is that right? Tuesday in the U.K. Friday Uh, in Canada as well. UKers just saw light, so if you didn't get your voicemail in, go ahead and call us and tell us what you thought about light. But this week is water, so call in, tell us what you think of this new episode. So we'll talk about water next week on November 4th. Looking forward to that episode, that should be fun. And uh, Sci-Fi Channel has not officially announced its November schedule as of the time that we're recording this. This is actually the latest they've gone Strange. before announcing the episode lineup. We're just a few days away from November. But uh, if everything keeps with what we think it is, then November 11th we'll talk about Earth, and on November 18th, Time. Time sounds like a cool, cool episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I don't want to know anything else about it besides the we'll, deal time. We'll get to it in the fullness of time. Good. That's our show for this week. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. David, how can they give that veto back? At the hotline at 616-712-1647. Thanks to everyone who's calling in. Be sure to keep it up. You can send us an email with a brief audio recording if you're outside of the United States and don't have Skype international calling. Uh, or you can leave us a message in the podcast feedback thread. But we're really gearing towards having your voices be a part of our show. Yeah, especially if we keep getting great feedback like uh, you guys gave us this week. Then We don't have to read This has been the master plan. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. Well, this is good. We're five episodes into SGU, and I'm enjoying the show so far. From Gate World, this is Darren. This is David. We'll see you back here.